Welcome back to another episode of the Rooted In podcast. Very exciting. Today we have the whole Rooted crew. Hello. 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 <laughs> We're all here to talk about the wonderful world of making mistakes. Never happens. No. no. We're all perfect 100% of the time. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so this is continuing our ongoing series for this season or ongoing series for this series, if you're British, um, <laughs> all about deep learning and kind of different avenues that allow for accessing deep learning. And it turns out, you all can be very relieved, that making mistakes is a great way to get to deep learning. Good. So, Yay! Yeah. Take, a, take a deep breath. We're already there, right? <laughs> right. So uh, this is our mistake podcast, and it's not a mistake. If you listen to the end, we have a lovely... Um, thank you for listening gift for you that'll be a discount in our shop so hang on for that more on that later cool so today we're going to talk about um, making mistakes and how we can actually treat them as a productive part of the learning process Um, and if you engage in what is called productive struggle which we'll talk about a bit more in a minute um, then you can use those mistakes for for greater learning and and productive learning and learning that actually uh, feels like it was beneficial to you rather than a mistake being something you're constantly trying to avoid. So today we're going to be discussing this idea of mistakes in the learning process through metaphor because it is a great way to access difficult things to understand. So metaphors and analogies um, mean that we've achieved a a level of deep learning and so if we can pitch this to you in several different ways through real life examples um, from some of our various learning processes throughout our lives today uh, hopefully you will feel like you truly understand how you can apply this idea of productive mistakes in your learning at home with your students right so uh, I remember once hearing that the way you demonstrate the, the deepest level of understanding a concept is by creating a metaphor so um, as we are talking hopefully you will be creating your own metaphors and and associating these ideas with your own lives um i titled this no one learns to swim by floating on a raft either and the reason i picked that title is we like to say no one learns to swim by drowning which means if an activity is too far over kids' heads, if it's too difficult for them. Way too much. Way too much. They're just drowning. They're not learning how to swim. Mm -hmm. But the flip side of that is that no one learns to swim by floating on a raft. Although it is fun. Although it is fun and it's lovely. (laughs) And relaxing. (laughs) Yes. And don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with having those moments. But But it's not deep learning. But it's not deep learning and it's not going to teach you how to swim. And I just to your comment of it's relaxing and fun to start the metaphor early yes (laughs) um is that it actually wouldn't be all that fun and relaxing if it were in a place where you're actually stranded and that getting back to shore requires swimming right Right. you can't swim you can't get there good point if anyone ever read the book unbroken where there is a shark that's constantly trying to get in the raft to eat (laughs) suddenly the raft is not relaxing no it's not (laughs) relaxing at all and in fact people who can't swim don't like floating on rafts because in deep water because they know if anything happens yes they're in trouble so so the point is learning how to swim. That's what we're, our metaphor is, that whatever you're trying to learn, using the metaphor of swimming, you don't learn to swim if you're drowning, 
But you don't learn to swim if you're just floating on the raft. You have to learn through what we call productive struggle. And productive struggle is this idea that we need a certain level of challenge in order to learn and grow, to learn a new skill, to progress in our skills, to grow in our skills. We have to have this certain level of challenge that keeps us advancing along. And we often refer to the way we try to help kids move along a path to reading and writing by saying we are laying a path, meaning not that kids just stay in one place. We lay a path to help kids who are stuck in their reading and writing move to the next level. In order to keep them being productive and moving along this path, they have to have this kind of perfect level of challenge. And that means that there has to be a little challenge involved, but it can't be so much that kids become overwhelmed. It has to be just enough challenge that it requires engagement. And that level of engagement actually makes things a little bit fun. So we see kids all the time who are engaged in activities that are actually difficult for them. Mm -hmm. But because we're kind of doling them out at this productive level where they can continue to progress, they actually can be smiling. And they have enough success happening along the way that it doesn't feel like a major failure. Right, but if everything's super easy, they get really bored. And I've had kids feel like a little insulted, like Mm -hmm. this is too easy for me. And I'll say, Mm -hmm. well, it's just warm up. We're just warming up and reviewing and then we're moving on to the next thing. And all of us have had that experience in classrooms where there's too much review and now I'm disengaged, right? right? Mm -hmm. So productive struggle keeps kids engaged. It's just that little bit beyond where they need to go and it can be really tricky for the struggling learner as Claire's story is going to kind of help um, exemplify today that some of the things that we think are the next step or assumed steps might not be true for a struggling learner. They might need smaller steps. And that, less material. that harkens a bit back to our previous podcast we had the month before about um, looking at yourself as an educator too because sometimes you can assume something about where a student is starting based on where you would have started mm-hmm. or where you what you currently know, right? right? And so starting with yourself as the educator, if you haven't listened to our podcast from last month, um, that would be a good place to start because that is something to consider before you jump into the idea of productive struggle. Right. And if kids feel like they have made some success, instead of feeling overwhelmed, frustrated, angry, like giving up, that's what we call destructive struggle. Right. Things are too hard. This is the drowning. It's just not working, they're angry, there may be emotional outbursts, there might just be just awful emotion where they're just depressed about where they're at. Um, If it's productive and they can have that little bit of success and um, they are allowed to make mistakes, then they can feel empowered because learning happens in the midst of these mistakes. So I want you to really pay attention to that because that's a key piece to productive struggle is we have to have a philosophy that mistakes are a part of this. And we have to communicate to kids in learning that mistakes are good. Mistakes are part of how we learn. We're gonna work with our mistakes. We're not gonna go wrong, 
right? Too bad, you failed. Yes, yeah. right. It's about the process, not the answer. So we'll do it a lot of times. We're in the midst of a process. Um, and we don't actually want to protect kids from mistakes. We actually want to let them make an, a mistake and let them use those mistakes in a productive way and let them learn from that. So This can be a hard thing as an educator too because you might be seeing a mistake happen and want to jump in and be like, right. wait, 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 nope, nope, fix that. Right as they're making the mistake, right? Right. But making that mistake and letting it be part of the process and then helping them discover and work through some of those things and where they can have some of those aha moments, that is all going to result in much more stickiness, which Mm -hmm. we say a lot, which means the concept sticking in your head, right? Not just going in one ear and out the other, which is what we're always trying to achieve, that deep learning, than when we're just constantly correcting for them. Right, and this can happen in writing a lot. You know, you can get in this kind of pattern with kids where they're like, how do I spell this? How do I spell that? How do I spell this? How do I spell that? And their first draft has perfect spelling because somebody was right there keeping them from making mistakes. As opposed to, if we let them figure it out, make some mistakes. We have some strategies around this for kids who don't like making mistakes. If we let them do that and let them work through the first draft and work on work editing. Work through an editing process. Right. right. They may have some real learning going on. That's what we're going to And for. they're going to be learning to be much more independent learners as opposed to always depending on someone helping. And right. they can also learn not to be stopped. By, by a mistake. Knowing yes. Exactly, not frozen. Right. Everything doesn't have to be perfect. Mistakes are okay. Mistakes are part of the process. We all make them. We have a joke around here um, about how it's okay to write the crappy first draft. Um, and then if we tease each <laughs> other. Which we, we have to remind ourselves oh, all yeah, the right. Yes, because if you're the one that someone caught an error on, you're like, sorry, it was a first draft. Well, hey, there's nothing wrong with the first draft. You got an idea down. That's right. what we needed right. to work from. Um, so we all have to keep reminding ourselves that it's not about being perfect. If, if I was in a group of people who expected me to feel perfect, to be perfect, I would feel abandoned. Yeah, and I would be alone. frustrated, and I probably would want to find a way out of this group right. because that's not where yeah, I want to be. You become more and more withdrawn. It's not. Right. It's not safe. So I think yeah. it's really important as we are thinking about learning that we spend time thinking: was this productive? Was it destructive? And I just want to say, and I think our stories reflect this: that you will find yourself in the midst of destructive struggle. But we can turn that around and make it productive if we can learn from that. So that's what we're going to explore today. And we're Mm going to start with the very first story we have is from Maura. Maura, learning how to sew. Okay, so my sewing story is um, kind of an interesting one. So about a a year ago, a year and a half ago, I decided I wanted to learn to sew, which didn't come completely out of left field. I'd always admired people who could sew it seemed like a really practical skill and it was something I wanted to do and I happened to marry a man whose mother was a pretty decent seamstress and often was sewing things and doing little projects um, in front of me which kind of gave me some inspiration so I had seen this um, neat little pattern for baby leather baby moccasins 
And it was like a free thing from Pinterest or something that I could download. And I had... Ah, fateful Right, flaw. Pinterest. Pinterest. Looking at Pinterest, right? Yes. It all looks so easy. And it was Pinterest. described as being like a relatively easy pattern for baby moccasins. And they were super cute. And I had this baby in my life. One of my really close friends had recently had a baby. And she had these leather baby moccasins that were so cute. But, you know, as babies do, they grow really fast. And the moccasins she had were like only good for about a month of this baby's life before the baby was too big for them. So I was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm, you know, gonna learn to sew. I'd asked my mother-in-law if she would maybe give me a tip here and there if I needed some help. And so I'd like to make this baby some baby moccasins. So I got this pattern and I was like all excited <laughs> to make these and, moccasins. <laughs> and the fabric, Mora. The fabric turned out to be leather, which I thought seemed super cool. Leather's fun and soft and that would be awesome. Turns out leather is like Step stage five of sewing material. You do not want to start your sewing education with leather. You should instead start your sewing education with something cotton because cotton is a lot easier to work with. I did not know this. So I, I went to the store. I actually went to a festival. Claire was with me. Yeah, out. she helped me pick out some leather. It wasn't cheap. Turns out good leather isn't cheap, but I got all this leather. I was excited about it. And as I started sewing my moccasins, I discovered that it was a lot harder to sew on leather than I'd thought. And also, I didn't really know how to read a pattern. And I was making all these mistakes. So I just want to stop here for a minute, more, just to kind of frame this. This is what we would call kind of a high-stakes activity. Oh, yeah. So a lot was writing on this. You had a very good friend you were giving this gift for. And I told that friend I was going to make these ah, gifts. So I couldn't ah, abandon it. Yes. yes. <laughs> she was. She had measured her baby's feet and everything and yes. had given me measurements. And you spent big money on the materials. materials. Yep. And you didn't have very much sewing skill. I had almost zero sewing skill. The last time I had sewed something was about fourth grade in homeschool. Yes, and let me just say, she learned absolutely nothing from her mother about sewing. Okay? I learned a few things, but it was pretty much all lost Like by how that to point, sew so. on a button. That right, was about right. all you learned. Okay. So I started working on these moccasins. I quickly realized that I didn't understand enough about the um, vocabulary of and and instructions of reading this pattern to, to do it on my own. So I started enlisting my mother-in-law to help me sort of decipher what I was supposed to do. I didn't even really understand what it was exactly telling me to cut out, and, and there were all kinds of terminology I just didn't know and so she started helping me which was um, a major step towards success um, and after I was just struggling and struggling and um, was wasting frankly a lot of my material because of what is the bad part about leather is once you um, make a mistake you can't just rip out the stitches and start on the same leather they make permanent holes that will show. So I had to cut out all new leather anytime I made a mistake and I was like running out of my materials quickly. So she advised me that this was not a good material to do such a complex project on and that I really had skipped to a way complex project for the you know little sewing skills that I actually had and made me make an entire pair of practice moccasins on cotton. I was like jean fabric, which is essentially cotton, so that I could make lots of errors, rip out my stitches, do it again, and also decrease the stakes because those were a practice pair that weren't going to be the actual gift so that I could actually gain some skills on something else. Was I happy about this suggestion? No, because it took me twice as long and I had many late hours because I needed to get the practice ones done before I could get the real ones done. But she had turned what was a destructive struggle 
into a more productive struggle. Exactly. And in providing some support, she also made it more productive exactly. for you. So exactly. what was the outcome of that? The outcome was that after I had made my um, my practice pair, I felt way more confident about the skills that I had. I'd actually acquired some skills that I felt good about um, in order to apply to the difficult sort of high stakes fabric. I was eventually able to make the stockings. I did finish them on time. Not they, stockings. Er, sorry. That was your other project. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I was eventually able to make the moccasins. They did turn out pretty well. I was. I gave the gift. My friend was excited about it. And I ended up feeling really proud of myself in the end that I had achieved this. However, I had put a lot on my plate and required a lot of support to get there. Right. So after that, you kind of set up a plan. Uh, yeah. So after that, my mother-in-law uh, said to me, you know, if you're really interested in continuing sewing, and I, you know, think you should, you did a good job. Um, we, you have some gaps in your knowledge that you really need in order to be able to tackle some of these projects you're interested in. So she took me to Michaels or I don't know Joanne Fabrics or something, and we and we picked out a bunch of patterns. And I kept pulling out these things that I'm like, oh, that's a look, that's a hat. I want to make that. And she's like, you're not going to make a hat. You're not allowed to make that. You have to stick in this drawer that says easy. <laughs> like we're sticking with all these easy ones you know and I was like oh these aren't nearly as fun looking she was like you will gain the skills you need in these easy projects for tackling the things you really want to get to making so I picked out like three different things and you know she helped me kind of learn how to read a pattern so that I could become independent in that and now I've gained some actual sewing skills and I have my own sewing machine and I'm much more independent and uh, relatively successful seamstress. But, but wait, wait, Maura. That sounds like building up foundational skills. Oh, that yeah. Sounds, that sounds a little bit like... And hey, that. I wasn't excited about doing the <laughs> over, you know, over no, and over and over. Of course, because... But, but what you had there was context. You yeah. understood why you needed to take the time and force yourself. Oh, yeah, because I'd already had the experience in which it didn't go so, so well. So <laughs> that's an interesting thing, though, because what could have been destructive actually became productive and helped you go back and work on foundational skills that might have felt just way too boring to be worth it at the start. Right, like if I had started with some of the boring stuff, might I have gotten bored and, and given up? I don't know. It was something I had chosen myself to do, so that always helps. You know, I was slightly internally motivated. Um, but I wasn't able to do the big thing all on my own. I did have to have support, which was a big right. part of it. And when we talk about this, that once in a while when you have these really big projects that are exciting, that if handled in, this, in the right way, where mistakes are okay, support is given, all of that can really generate a lot of interest and motivation yeah. and can help kids feel empowered in what they're doing. And I think your story reflects And that's that. absolutely true. I felt extremely empowered by the end because I was successful, partially because she gave me an out and made me gain those skills with the practice pair. Right. Okay, yeah. so Tracy has an interesting story about learning to become a watercolor artist, something that's, I don't know how many years ago you started working oh, on watercolor. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Um, I took, I guess I took a very brief community kind of class that was offered because it was something that had always interested me and kind of been in the back of my mind and it came up in a flyer that, oh, I could have these three classes or something for $20. <laughs> hey, I'm going to go do this. <laughs> a deal. So I did and, and learned, you know, a, a, a small amount and came home and thought, I am going to paint a sunset over water. 
because, of course, water's so easy to paint when you're first starting. And so I did. I worked down the basement. I got this picture together, and I thought, well, everybody's going to be impressed. (laughs) (laughs) So I took it upstairs, and I laid it on the counter for my family to look at. And my, I don't know, seven- or eight-year-old son at the time looks at me very sincerely, and I remember his exact words to this day, which were, I see where you made your mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Which from an eight-year-old can be rather sad. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Through the heart. (laughs) That's true. An eight-year-old's art skills critiquing. I think what's interesting about the beginning of this story, Trace, is that um, you were really motivated by your own interests. Right. Which, of course, is easier than had I... Sure, as a more story. Yes, it... If I had said, oh, Tracy, learn to sew. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right? So more here, story. make these moccasins. Yeah, here, make yeah, moccasins. Right. That wouldn't have worked. But so, um, so how, buy a pair. <laughs> how did you, what did you do after that? Maybe what you might have considered kind of a fail. Well, I think there was a little bit of time for retrenching, like internally. Just, mm-hmm. um, Wow. I was certain I was going to be the master with my very first effort, and and such was not the case. So um, apparently, it takes training and time. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, you have to work on some of those foundational skills a little more than I had. Um, so I did have a little bit of time where I don't think I ran right downstairs and repainted it. You know, later that same day. Um, but I, I got over that. I still did want to do watercolor, and um, I reinvested in my own training after that. I, I went and signed up for a real class that extended for quite amount of time. I bought some books, and I actually read them, and I actually did the boring training exercises in the back. You know, do a graded wash. Nice. Do a, you know, all these things that I did over and over and over again. And still probably wasn't enough because I still made those mistakes in more high stakes situations but right yeah right so this was your story about making errors Mm -hmm. what could have been destructive kind of falling into a more productive situation and claire has a story to share about helping her husband learn to cook yeah i was gonna say i will preface all of this because it's not my story it's not me learning to cook it's your story (laughs) i mean it is my story but you know it's it's all i i love my husband and all that he makes food wise (laughs) but But i'm about of the learning process but he's in the process of learning um and when we first started dating and would first like have meals together um it was very obvious very quickly that he was not familiar in a kitchen Whereas I had grown up in like constantly helping with cooking and constantly being a part of um, the the family of cooking and all, all of that stuff. Um, and I'm very confident in a I'm not a phenomenal chef, but I'm very confident in a kitchen and he is not. Um, and so when we were actually living together and when we're married and we're making meals together every night or basically every night, um, it's really exhausting to be the one person who comes up with all of those ideas and is the one making all of those ideas. And so it very quickly naturally becomes like, all right, you're going to help me with this. You're going to be the one coming up with stuff. Go do it. Um, 
Which is kind of the approach that I had for him, because it's like, I, I have nothing left. Please help me. Go go come up with an right. idea. Um, I need some partnership. I need some partnership, yeah, yeah. In, in this cooking process. As we all do at some point or another in marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. Please help. Well, cooking is relentless. Right. It really is. is. There's no way out. Keep needing it every single day. Yeah. Um, and I think the first meal that he came up with that he was entirely in charge of by himself was really not edible. Um, it was bad. <laughs> and he will admit to this now, which is like... That, that but you right were there. encouraging, yeah, I hope. Right at the time, and I still am, um, very encouraging to him. But <laughs> even when we are cooking together, um, or when we were cooking together... I would ask him to kind of sous chef for me, right? Where it's like, can you cut this up? Can you dice this onion? And it would frequently be, I'm not entirely sure what you mean, or I don't know what it is you're looking for. What do you mean dicing an onion? Yeah, what do you mean dicing the onion? Do you do you want it like this? Do you want it like that? I don't even know the options for dicing an onion. And that's kind of in this, this nervousness that he has about it because he has no confidence in a kitchen and does not know what he's doing. Similar to my story, there was a whole vocabulary that right. he didn't even, like, what is dicing, right? Right, right. Yeah. Well, and I think what's interesting there is, you know, just relating this to the struggling learner is that a lot of times um, working with a struggling learner means you have to break things down oh, yeah. in many more steps than you think. Than you would have thought. So you cannot mm-hmm. just say, go dice this onion. Right. You know, there's there's the way you hold a knife, you know, which which can be awkward, which might sound strange to some of our listeners. But if you've ever tried to hold, say, a power tool you're not familiar with, you right. realize like, wow, I feel awkward trying to saw. If First time I tried to saw, you know, getting an angle yeah, in the position was so, like, yeah. you know, really hard. And that's how people can feel um cooking when yeah. they haven't really held the tools no, to or start if they're with. not familiar with how this this food is usually eaten do right. i need to peel this first right yeah, do i leave right. the skin on right, right. how yeah, does this work there's a lot of of kind of invisible steps yep. or yes invisible knowledge. perfect word yeah. yeah that is like okay we're making we're making burgers or we're making whatever it is and so i as the person who came up with the idea or knows in general what we're doing have this vision of well yeah when you dice onions for a burger that are going inside of it they have to be really tiny you're more because like because you're mixing it all together right but if they're on top of a burger they're well, sliced and what right. does that mean yeah. right um but if i said okay we're gonna make burgers and i need you to dice the onions for the burgers and i hand him the onion and the knife and the cutting board he's like okay and now what and now yeah. what and if he cuts them up and they're you know kind of quote-unquote wrong for what i was envisioning i come back into the kitchen and go why'd you do that like that and he's like well I did what you said and it's right now we have this kind of not point of contention really but it's like this area where a breakdown yeah I was expecting something because I have all of this knowledge about what we're doing and he did what he thought would be the right sort of reaction to that or the right answer to that and they're not meshing our pieces are not meeting in that Right. 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 right right you said something about the famous meal that you had well, our grease soup. That we ate. <laughs> Man, I kind of wish I'd been a fondly part of that. dubbed <laughs> grease soup. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Grease soup. Yeah, um, it's kind of this interesting steps that he did because we frequently cook together, and that's and I he and I both love that about cooking and doing it together. Um, 
But every once in a while, it's like, all right, I'm busy. I can't do this. You are completely in charge from beginning to end of what is happening in the kitchen. And heretofore, and I am hoping that, that things will change, <laughs> but the end products that he has come up with aren't always the most phenomenal pieces of cuisine. <laughs> but he's still in the process of needing a lot of support for right. for things to be successful, right? right. When when completely given a he task he's he not ready for. Yeah, right. he can't make moccasins yet, and neither could I, it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he and I both recognize it when it happens, and it, I do, there's a level, it's kind of weird when it's your husband and not your student or your kid or somebody mm-hmm. who you recognize as I am educating you mm-hmm. both the student and the teacher recognize that this is a position and a place of education but we're husband and wife hanging out in the kitchen making dinner this is not really what we would easily label a place of education well you would never with a student necessarily without having better prep work mm-hmm. say just go do this go right, right. Um, yeah. or you certainly wouldn't be surprised if the outcome was grease soup right, right? so however I, there's something to be said for assuming too much yeah right yeah. Sure. you can sometimes say to a student do this and let's not see realize. how it goes right yeah. right yeah. Yeah. yeah and not yeah, exactly, and not necessarily realize where their level of background information, background right, yeah, knowledge absolutely. was. What I thought was interesting when you were telling us your story about Robbie learning to cook is you were talking about how he will periodically kind of, you know, jump in the deep end, He decides right? that he's going to be in charge of dinner. Or yes, going to do and he'll do something that's really kind of over his head, and yet he perseveres. Mm-hmm. So I think that's interesting because it leads us to this conversation about what do we do with error. So I think what's beautiful about some of these metaphors, these stories, is that Everybody knows you're not going to become a watercolor artist overnight. I didn't know except that. for Tracy. And, and, yeah, except she, Tracy. she didn't know that. I was yeah. certain. Yes. <laughs> and and most people would agree that I was be, certain I could make moccasins <laughs> on the first trip. Becoming a se- seamstress takes time, and most people who have some experience with cooking know there is a really wide continuum yeah. of cooking yeah. skills. Yeah. You know, right. between the people who really are just figuring out how to hold a knife to the people who are, you know, world-class chefs. And so we have this sense that this whole thing is a process. And in the midst of this process, there will be great fails, right? There'll be huge errors in the process. Anyone who's ever watched The Great British Baking Show knows that. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) Although, yeah, that leads us to some interesting things. But, But I love that Robbie just kind of has this, yeah, that one wasn't good. Maybe next time, yeah. right? Yeah, he totally does. He yeah. absolutely does. Yeah, that we're eating something together that he made that was really not worth eating. and um, But maybe worth making. But maybe worth <laughs> making, oh, yeah. Right. But, but absolutely worth. worth making. And that it's like, okay, you did all these things, and you did them either with me or on your own or with some, or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was the case of of the pro- the producing part process um thank you the process (laughs) the word claire the word we're talking about the process process. (laughs) um and even though this outcome is is less than what he expected less than what i or wanted you know whatever you're measuring want or inedible inedible let's say (laughs) like um perhaps grease soup (laughs) (laughs) and that we're both you know willing to 
it's not a happy moment, right, to go like, okay, I'm really sorry, honey. I and cannot hungry. eat. I'm hungry <laughs> and I can't eat your meal. I'm sorry. It's not a happy or full moment. Um, but Also not as easy. Moment. It's not. It's really hard to tell somebody, too, that, like, I know you don't like this and you know I don't like it, but to actually say it out loud is kind of a weird good marriage thing but um yes but you know some of my favorite favorite memories just in marriage is when we both cracked up over, mm-hmm. over the a biggest total failure yeah over yeah. the biggest yeah. fails you yeah. know and all these different levels right. you know of wherever they happen where right? i was going that yeah. like yeah and we now and this was actually not that long ago that he made grease soup but we will still like we i can poke fun at him and he can poke fun at me for the plate i lit on fire but like <laughs> it's fine mm-hmm. <laughs> and because right. it's part of this whole relationship we have it's part of the learning in learning and yeah. in yeah cooking together right. and by the way mistakes can be funny it's okay to sometimes laugh oh yeah 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 right right um yeah i especially love it when you guys laugh at my mistakes that's so fun (laughs) (laughs) really fun for the person who made the mistake (laughs) i meant the person who made the mistake no i know i don't mean being laughed at Um, trying to minimize that so so bringing back the point (laughs) is that errors are productive if we embrace that the error is part of the learning process. I know I've said that like five times already and we'll probably say it five more right. because this whole thing is about mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's kind of go down that path a little bit and I'm gonna tell you about a, um, a, a quadrant that was put together. It was kind of an image put together by KQED which I cannot tell you what that stands for. No, and we've looked. Because we've looked. But it's sort of an education philosophy. It's an education mindset. Mindset. That if we understand how mistakes work, we can really embrace them as part of the learning process. So I'm going to kind of go back to these stories briefly and just talk about mistakes, okay? So uh, if you have this high learning opportunity without being intentional, you can end up with what we call sloppy mistakes, okay? So um, I think an example we had of this was Claire's story about dicing the onions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mentioned that like we, when we make burgers and if we want onions diced up inside of them, if I asked, uh, or actually this happened, when I asked Robbie to dice up the onion, and he knew what we were having, but was not contemplating or really considering this whole picture of what would happen with the onions after we cut them up and what they're there for. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, onions and burgers. Okay, good. Cut right, knife, cut onion, cut. Yeah, yeah. Um, knowing that we wanted them diced up, but not actually extending that further to why they're being cut and therefore then how you would cut them. Right. Which is a lot of thinking. It really is. A lot is. of being intentional. Big, yeah. mm-hmm. big picture. Having yeah. a final product So they in needed mind. to be small. Yeah, really tiny little dicing. Because and, they were getting mixed in the burger. Right. Right. And he didn't. He kind of cut them up in big chunks. Um, and then when I came in and looked at it, it was like, uh, you did it wrong. <laughs> That's not right. And he's going, not no, quite. I did what you asked. Right. And then here we have this this kind of... disconnect right and so you get this what you would consider a sloppy mistake but if you take that moment and you turn it into if you say oh this is an opportunity for me to focus more this is an aha moment 
right? And if you can turn it into an aha moment, then it's like, ah, next time I have to cut onions, I need to read through the recipe, right? All and way. know yeah. what it's Ever for, at all. right? <laughs> right, context, right. exactly. So being reflective mm -hmm. is a critical piece in turning what is a sloppy mistake into an aha moment. Yes, and actually both from the educator and the educatee, <laughs> both from the student and the right. teacher perspective that, you know, for, I'm sure if Robbie were here and talking about this, he would yeah, agree with this idea that, okay, he needs to know overall what it is we're doing and what we're using them for, so therefore how he needs to go about what he's doing and keep all that in mind as a student of this mm -hmm. and as the person myself being the one who's sort of dictating what's going on so mm -hmm. the teacher mm -hmm. position of that realizing that I also need to communicate really effectively and really clearly that like oh you're right I did just say dice and I was not specific and didn't make sure yeah that you perhaps in everything. smaller steps than right. you would have considered right. right because dice can mean a lot of things right. right it can mean big chunks it can mean you know so that that intentionality the aha from the mistake goes both ways I like Absolutely. that because it's really easy to kind of put it all on yeah, just the student him. He did it right. Wrong, right I did it wrong right absolutely yeah. absolutely um, so if you have these aha moments, you've moved into this positive error mode. And we always say, like, never waste a good error. <laughs> that there right. are times when a parent will say, uh, I noticed that you let them make that mistake. Like, I've been correcting them. And I'm like, yeah, I let them make the mistake. And then we go back and we figure out, hmm, something's wrong. What could it be? And then with lots of guidance, so my, my student isn't drowning, I help them figure out so and I take them. it for themselves. Right. Yeah. I take them through those steps of figuring out that error is way more effective than me saying, you missed that sound. Right. right? right. Or you so missed that. You forgot your period there. That needs a comma. Next right. 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 Yes. Because it's all about developing independence if you think about that being your end goal, right? And when you're constantly fixing mistakes for someone, there's no independence as a, as a learner being developed. Right. And Tracy, you had something about this aha moment of improving your learning op opportunity um, about trusting yourself. Remember oh, that? Oh, yeah. We were talking more about the... Um the oil slick. I'm sorry, the sunset over the, <laughs> <laughs> the water. You seem to have a grease thing hmm, going on. That's right, that's right. Um, and, and what I might have gained out of what was an obvious mistake or a bad effort. Um, and, and what I really, I learned a couple of things, but one of which was I knew. I knew somewhere internally when I finished that picture that it wasn't the picture I wanted it to be. It wasn't what I hoped for, mm -hmm. but I kind of did this, well, Everybody also think it's great, and, and, and of course they didn't because it wasn't. And so one of the things I got from that is, you know what, I need to trust myself. I need to trust my own instincts about what I'm doing right or wrong and acknowledge that and, and go forward from there. Mm -hmm. Right, and holding yourself to a standard yeah. can help you improve, right? Sure. It's part than, of being, well, I did it, so whatever. It's part yeah. of being intentional. Right? Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm thinking of your dicing onion things. I'm the worst. I'm the worst at dicing because I'm always like, oh, it's good enough. I, you know, I, I don't want to sit here right. and cut this. My even husband's more. the best because he's just like this ridiculous attention. Yeah, he's to like detail. a robot. It's like a robot. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where I'm like, oh, that's fine. So you have to chew a little more, get over it, and grow up. You know. <laughs> We're all so, like, this chunk is way too big, mom. <laughs> Didn't cook. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, it does. It takes this intention out, intentionality. And we see that, 
You know, that's why we talk about intentional copy work. It's very easy for kids to kind of have this high task for them, but low intention. And they end mm. up with all these sloppy mistakes and they just keep practicing the same errors over and over again. And there's no aha moments. And so we want to turn that around. That's part of what we do in our Roots and Twine classes, really show kids how, or show uh, uh, educators how we teach kids, how we turn things around and we really have them work to this level of success and we have them learn from their errors. Yeah, that's a really good know? point. Capitalizing upon and learning from errors as opposed to letting them sit in that space of error over and over and over so they actually end up learning and reinforcing a mistake or a bad habit. Yeah, and what they mostly learn is, I'm not good at this, I can't do that. Yeah. That's what they right. learn, right. right? That's what happens when you don't right. when you don't work on improving the intention, improving the aha moments. Yeah, it's, like, it's like when you move your silverware drawer. <laughs> yeah, bear with me on this okay. <laughs> analogy. So, so you have your another silverware somewhere for 10 years and you rearrange your kitchen and you move your silverware over to another drawer. Everyone knows where you're going with <laughs> yes. this. And then every time you go to your look for your silverware, you open the wrong drawer. So you're instead of teaching yourself where it actually is, you keep reinforcing opening the wrong drawer. Exactly. Right, right. 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 Instead right. of spending, so spend spending a moment of intentionality. And right. think, oh, no, it's over there. So it becomes that new habit. Yeah, like, weirdly right. appropriate. Though. Isn't that weird? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the other kind of error we can have is that you have this high learning opportunity and there's high intentionality. Okay? You, you really care about this project. There's a reason you want it to be good. And when it's a fail or a mistake, it's a really high stakes mistake. And I would say Maura's story fits in oh, well yeah. with this. Yeah, my, my big, uh, well, the the biggest sort of problem was the framework of my project, which was that I, I made it to be this big gift, which had both a uh, people expecting something on the other end and also um, a really tight time constraint because it was like Christmas, right? So I had to have them done by Christmas, and I think I started them in like, October, so not that many months for for literally starting from scratch, not having really ever sewn anything, um, and that just made it frustrating for me because I didn't allow myself any space for learning the skills I needed to achieve the giant task. And if you hadn't had your mentor come in and kind of help rescue <laughs> yes. you, you and know, make me go backwards a little bit. Yes, right. It could have been kind of catastrophic, oh, right? Yeah. Um, and I would have ended up feeling like even more of a failure because I was presenting something to someone mm -hmm. rather than you know sometimes it's okay to maybe jump in over your head if you're internally motivated and, and mm -hmm. you make all these mistakes and you learn from them but it's all you know happening in a safe space Actually, because no one's judging is, you for it right, right maybe yeah. like more like cooking, cooking right for, yeah just you only of, have an eight-year-old who you. says i right. see where you went wrong yeah. right <laughs> yeah although that can feel quite cutting <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Um, but instead, you know, I, could, I had a real opportunity to fail big because I had people like waiting on this product and I'd sort of build it up. I can do that. I'll make stockings for your baby. It'll be great. Moccasins. Dang it. <laughs> I just have to say, Maura's been making stockings I've lately. I've made a lot so of different things, stockings being one of them. Yeah, so, so she keeps saying stockings instead of moccasins. And plus it's Christmas yes, time. Yes, and we are, we are recording this at Christmas time. So she's stuck in stocking mode. 
Oh, sorry. Huh. So alliterative. <laughs> anyway, but if we um, are in the midst of this epic fail, let's just call it, just, you know, nicely call it your epic yep. fail. Yeah. <laughs> hey, with then know. success on the other side. Yes. It can give us feedback on how effective we can be with some hard work. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Being more intentional, having hard work. If we can challenge ourselves then, as you did, right? You challenge yourself to learn new skills. This is what they call stretch mistakes. Right. And why are they called stretch mistakes? Well, because when you stretch yourself beyond what where you feel comfortable, you end up learning a lot through your mistakes. So while I did make a lot of errors in that project, I then was able to go back to some easier things and feel like I'd gained a lot of those skills already because yeah. I had kind of jumped further into the deep end right I remember you know by contrast so just talking about grades here for a minute I took a college sewing class because I needed an elective and I thought oh I'd like to learn how to sew and I got a B in the class and it just bugged me it kind of ruined my grade point average with a stupid B and in <laughs> sewing but what also it left me feeling was like I really was a B sewer you know instead of me feeling like hey I didn't know how to sew and, and now I'm a bee sewer. I made <laughs> You just have to put a more positive spin on right. it. It's but right. instead, I was a bee bowler. Instead, <laughs> instead, <laughs> yeah, we all have those classes, right? right. But, but instead, it just kind of was like, oh, I guess really sewing's not my thing. You know, the other thing that happened was I made a skirt, and every time I wore the skirt, people said, oh, did you make that? <laughs> I'm like, gee, how did you know? I see where you made your mistake. <laughs> right. But, but anyway, I have to say, I don't have uh, any particular, like, love of sewing. I just kind of took it because I needed an elective and it fit in a good time slot. So, um, but, so, but without my own internal motivation, grades can kind of mess things up, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and I Because honestly, think- if I'd been graded on those moccasins, you know, maybe I would have felt worse about how yeah, they turned out, right. right? Like an experience sewer might look at those and be like, no. And I remember once in college when I took a speech class. Now, speech classes, as you would imagine, is not something I was super nervous about. I mean, mostly I'd get up, I'm pretty good, and then by the time I'm done, I was pretty good, and, you know, it was pretty good A, right? <laughs> so you were, you were pretty good. I was pretty so good. What I'm taking away is that you were pretty good. Yeah, actually, obviously not very eloquent because I just didn't say anything very well. Anyway... Um, this teacher, so there were kids that got up that literally like one person got up and halfway through their first speech, they threw up in the wastebasket, <gasps> right? Oh my gosh. Wow. Her entire attitude was, all I care about is that you challenge yourself. And you improve. So if next time you throw up at the end of your speech instead of in the middle, that is progress. Wow. Her attitude was so great. And, and to watch, so here I am. I'm now relatively successful. I'm watching other kids struggle. So I'm not in a position of, I'm kind of in a position of watching the teacher, mm-hmm. right? And I'm thinking, I love that. Yeah. Those kids, if, if you threw up in the wastebasket at the end, you got the same A I got for getting up there and being fine, like, yeah. right? And 
I loved that, and the kids really flourished. Yeah. So I think it is How can important you not respond too. to that, right? Yeah. What are we measuring, right? right? Mm-hmm. If you're measuring that you took on the challenge, that you you're measuring growth, you're measuring growth, as opposed to right? perfection, yeah. right? And yeah. that I they're lied. I wasn't a people or I was an able. Or <laughs> and you you know, did that to me. But, yeah, I did. But you know why? Because for the entire class, I had an 80 average. And for the final exam, I bowled a 150, which was divine intervention. But I got an A because of improvement. <laughs> Yay! So she I was an A bowler Well, I end. couldn't do a zipper, and then I did do a zipper, <laughs> and I still got a B. Oh, Zippers oh. are hard. I recently did my first zipper. Thank you, Maura. Yeah, they are hard. <laughs> They're hard. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough of that. So, be, be productive in our challenges, right? Mm-hmm. We want to be productive. I'm not saying that we never have a restful moment. You know, I used to really dislike that idea that kids have to be every moment of every day should be doing something, oh, you know, geez, I think, yeah. oh my gosh, oh, adults man, I'm would tired never listening do that. to you yeah, say that. Really. <laughs> right. But but if think about what you're learning. That's what learning is, right? We have to have this little bit of productivity. It has to be a, right. a challenge. Not too much, you're drowning. Not too little, you're just floating. Right. And then, in the midst of that, embrace those errors. Mm-hmm. Turn those kind of sloppy mistakes into these potentially aha moments when we look at, hmm, with more intention, how could I have made this different? With these more high-stake mistakes that can feel, Dreadful. you know, pretty personal, yeah. right? Right? How can we... Look at that, be a little more metacognitive, challenge ourselves. And I think this is something we model as educators and we certainly encourage in our kids. Absolutely. If I can throw in one last tiny, because I feel like Maura's story ends on this positive note of her succeeding at the moccasins. But then yes, also, we need like, Robbie. And, and you are clearly like, you're a painter and that's what you do. And that's very positive. And you, you had grease soup. Although perhaps if I had been more intentional saying the word moccasin instead of stocking, <laughs> I could embrace my error more. But, no, but actually it's a positive note for Robbie that um, so where he works, he always takes in leftovers for lunch. And it's always whatever we have made. And I do mean we. Like, the mm-hmm. two of us have made stuff. And, and it really does fluctuate now more who is doing a majority of the work versus kind of helping the progress. other person. It's progress. And every time he brings in his lunch and then he comes back home and we're talking about his day or whatever. And he says something about, yeah, I took in our, you know, whatever it was, the burgers we had for dinner last night. And I had them for lunch today. And everybody's at this table looking around going... Did you make that? Aww. That looks awesome. Aww. That's amazing. And it's like this. And he's so excited <laughs> about he's the proud. fact that other people are excited about what it is that mm-hmm. he made. Right. And, right. you know, he has I think, some skill now. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think let's just end on that idea, too, that, you know, things can, these learning situations can be very positive when we are in relationship, mm-hmm. when we're in groups. Now, all of us have our own memories of bad group experiences. So I don't think just throwing people together makes mm-hmm. for a perfect learning experience. But certainly, um, with the right kind of grouping, mm-hmm. um, whether it's mentor to student, whether it's that you know you're taking a class, whether it's that you're working together on a project and sharing the burdens of that project, I think that that learning happening together, 
even if you're at one stage in your cooking and mm-hmm. he's at another, I'm mm-hmm. sure there's still learning for both oh, of yeah, you that absolutely. happens just from doing, you know, an activity over and mm-hmm. over again. Um, can really, really make the entire experience more positive and help us kind of embrace the process and yeah. the errors, because especially if we can laugh at them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, as we promised, it's no mistake. We are offering a lovely thank you for listening discount. Um, it is for all things in our shop, classes, products, anything you can buy. Um, the discount is 15% off your purchase. So at checkout, if you put in swimming 15, so it's S-W-I-M-M-I-N-G, the number one, the number five, Swimming 15, um, it's good through March 31st as just... Uh, 2019. 2019, thank you, yes, of this year, that year, whatever year it was, 2019, <laughs> um, as a thank you for being a part of our podcast.